Hey everybody, welcome to The Way Podcast, where we read scripture. Um, And today we're going to be in Mark chapter 14. Uh, This is just a way for us to get scripture to you. We also ask that you go out and read it on your own once you're done. Um, We're going to just discuss a little bit of insights here today on Mark chapter 14. I'm Pastor Ben LaGrange, and I'm here today with Dan Turnmeyer. Hi, Dan. Hi, Ben. How are you? Not bad. Now, let's just assume that most people here won't know you. Yeah. Since this That's is gonna, probably fair. They're probably fair. You only know about 250 people from yeah, most of them, that, right? That, yeah. <laughs> Beyond that, we forget everybody. Um, so what, who are you and what do you do? Well, uh, my name's Dan Turnmeyer. I am uh, married to a beautiful woman by the name of Heather, and we have two little girls, Bella, who's 11, and Sadie's 9. Uh, I'm a financial advisor, but we're very uh, active in our local church. Uh, we go to Heritage Church in Bettendorf, Iowa. All right. Awesome. Well, today we're going to start out with uh, Mark chapter 14. And we've been going through this chapter by chapter. We've got 13 chapters down. Um, so we're just going to dive right into this here today. This is actually uh, part of the, the death, trial, and resurrection process. This is really the last third of Mark. So I'm going to go ahead and read the first section. Okay. Now, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priest and the teachers of law were looking for some way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or people may riot. And while he was in Bethany, reclining at a table uh, in a home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why waste this perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me and the poor will always be with you. And can you help? I'm sorry. And can you help at any time if you want? The poor will always be with you and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. And she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. And I tell you, whatever the gospel is, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. That's, that's one of those weird things uh, we don't really talk about. What, what catches you about that portion? I mean, that deserves a sermon all of its own, I'm sure, right? Yeah, I think I think the thing that jumps off at the page at me is when you know Christ says you'll always have the poor, yeah, but you won't have me. Um, I don't know why it strikes me as odd, but it does, um, because so much of his message was about taking care of the poor and feeding them and and healing them. He spent so much time doing all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I don't think he's discounting the poor. But I think he is bringing attention to the fact that his death is imminent. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Um, you know, I, one of the things that I think people have a lot of problems with is how lavishly we we deal in the church. You came from a Catholic background, if I remember correct. Yep. Okay. One of the things that I've heard is like people are like, oh, the Vatican is just covered in gold and, and they've got all this expensive stuff and yet there's hungry people in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of look at that where... We do basic faith, and I understand that. It doesn't, doesn't require that, but the gold isn't for us. It's our way of laying our crowns at the feet of Jesus, if you will. Right. You know, we praise and, and pour over him lavishly. And when that happens, when we treat God first, 
the others get the the blessing as well, all below right. him. Right. And and I think there's there's something to that where we can be too lavish or not enough. And this is the same argument we had two thousand years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what if what if we just had a, a thatch roof, you know, four poles to hold it up? Mm-hmm. Would would there be less poor people in the world? Probably. Probably. But are there still going to be poor people that are still hungry? Right. Yeah. So coming from the, the Catholic background where, where that is really, you know, people only do this with mega churches, the Catholic church, right? right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's either Joel Osteen or the Pope that they're yelling <laughs> at. <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, do you understand that to be just lavish treatment of Jesus or, or, or how do you see that? Um, I think it's changed. So we haven't gone to Catholic church in a while and I'm very, I tell everybody up front, I have nothing negative to say about the Catholic church. Um, it really hurts me. And I think it hurts the heart of the church when people use their church as like, this is the right one. Right. And these other ones are wrong and and they're more than happy to tell you that. So I say that to say, I don't have anything against the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife grew up in a family that forbid faith, literally. Like yeah. she was not even allowed to have a Bible in the house. And so um, as our faiths melded as we got married, we just had to find a place that was our own. And that's what led us yeah. uh, to the church that we go to today. I say that to say, I think the most recent Pope is... Got it. Like I, I look him. at, I do too. I, I, I look at him. what he does and I, you know, for example, um, around the Passover time or around, you know, close to Easter services, the Catholic church does uh, a, a ceremony that they wash the feet mm-hmm. of people from the church. And that was always something that was held for um, high powered people with inside the Catholic church. Yeah. And this Pope went out on the street, found people that didn't have a faith life who weren't Catholic who might be homeless or criminals, and he brought them in and honored them by washing their feet. Yeah. And I mean, I get goosebumps just talking about it today because I'm like, that means that he gets it. And yeah. it's easy to get wrapped up in, you know, ornate, beautiful churches, which is fine, in my opinion. You yeah, know, that's, that's okay. I think it's beautiful, honestly. Yeah. You know, you, when you go into a Catholic church, oh, this, I, 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 I fall in love with it every time. It yeah. hits every sense. You can smell the incense. Mm-hmm. You can actually see the gospel. So even if you couldn't read, the right. stained glass windows will preach better than the priests sometimes. Yeah, they really do. And to know that this beautiful, wonderful thing is going on. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the streets of heaven, they're always lined with gold and <laughs> pearly gates. Right. Those aren't yours. Right. What does it matter? Right. It's just beautiful. Yeah. And... And there's something that really embodies the entirety of the faith when we see this. And I'm seeing this with Jesus as well. Mm-hmm. And before he washes the feet of his disciples, this woman washes his. That's right. And um, I've gone through rural Nepal, and honestly, that's one of the most powerful things we do is wash people's feet. You know, I can preach for three days straight and they'll lose their minds. It's absolutely wonderful to see how the reaction is to the gospel. We feed people. And we share it with, with even the Buddhists and the, the Hindus. Mm-hmm. And while that's happening, great reactions happen. But when you wash their feet, something entirely, hugely different happens. 
See, I don't think we get that here. I mean, here in the States, that is something that we just, I mean, it seems like something from such a long time ago yeah. that it doesn't apply. But, I mean, that's a real-life example right there where you can see. Yeah. What's the reaction that people give you when you do that? Oh, the first time it happened was in uh, in the jungles of uh, Dad, no, Gorkha. And while I was over there, um, the men were very, very, um, I'm not sure how to explain. It was a very solemn moment for them. But then two pastors' wives were together, and they'd been bickering for years. You know, one's always jealous of the size of the other one's church and how much money the other one brings in or <laughs> how nice this one's dresses right. and whatever. It, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> Even with pastors' wives. Yeah. And they were fighting for years and bickering. And um, it was amazing to see because it played out just like it did at the Last Supper. Because the one said, no, you can't wash my feet. Just like Peter said to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And she said, sit down. And she did. And the first pastor's wife watched the second. And they started bawling and wailing. It sounded like a, sounded like a tornado alarm, just the, <laughs> the wailing that went on. And there wasn't a dry eye in the place. I was bawling. Uh, the men were breaking out in tears. And they're just, there was a dance party like you have never seen in a church ever. <laughs> it, it looked... It was, Sounds fun, actually. It was amazing. Yeah. The second place I did it, uh, the men broke down. And the women held it together. <laughs> it was it was interesting to see, definitely. Yeah. Um, could you read the uh, verses uh, ten through sixteen? Sure. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come, and they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. This is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. So Dan, if if you were the guy that Jesus was giving those instructions to, if somebody told you, when you go out to the parking lot, someone's going to meet you with a, with a cup of coffee in their hand, and they're going to say to you, go over here and do this thing, and this will happen, and this will happen. How would you accept that? I mean, on the surface, I would think they were crazy. Yeah. I, that's the thing. As I, as I study the Gospels more, and I study the... I, I'm intrigued by the uh, disciples because there are so many times where I read it and I go, how did they not see? I mean, I don't see people being healed on the street corner. I don't see, you know, cripples and a guy walking by and saying, you're healed walk. I mean, we don't see that. Those guys did. Yeah. But constantly they didn't get it. So, which makes me feel a little bit better about myself. When I stumble, <laughs> you know, like, okay, if those guys didn't get it, how am I supposed to? But yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, if you said, go, if you gave me that task today, as we end this conversation, I think you were, I think you'd lost a few marbles, man. Well, you know, there's, there's something to this. And, you know, to be fair, a lot of Westerners have problems 
with miracles. And I'm not sure every last bit of what it is. I've seen them. I experience a lot of weird things uh, that just aren't explainable, but I know where to to place that, the... uh, the movement well, on. You had that happen in Nepal, right? Yeah, I've, I've seen someone's shriveled arm, and I know this is going to sound crazy, so you can send me medications or a referral to your doctor <laughs> if that's what you need. But uh, I've seen someone with a locked up shriveled arm, and we prayed for them, and he starts, and he just stretched it out, and that was weird. And then he was like, that seems weird, and he starts whipping it around like a helicopter was the strangest thing. And then, of course, somebody else said, well, that works there. Come over here and pray for me. And so an old woman with a bad back who was barely able to move, and she starts dancing around like a jazz musician. And it, it's just, it was insane. Yeah. And, and and I've seen things like this happen from time to time. Um, I've probably seen like 10 major miracles in that way. But, you know, with me, the some of the miracles we've prayed for and we've seen, um, it doesn't. It makes it easier to accept the more you see, the more you actually experience it. But there's still that. Okay, do we really got to do this? And how is this going to play out? Right. And there's always the, there's this balance between we know what God can do and does do, and then we also know what we see when we're not experiencing God. Right. And there's this weird duality between those. And if you lean on one, you'll see that one. <laughs> and, it's almost like that childlike faith. Yeah, and and it really is. When when your hands are full, it's just like the rich young ruler. When your hands are too full, you aren't going to be able to reach up. You know, mm-hmm. you can't reach with your hands out to heaven. Right. Um, you know, when when all you've got, when you're concerned that you know, hey, I've got the best in Western medicine, you aren't going to pray for Jesus. You're going to run to your doctor. Right. And I. Th- and I'm not saying never go to a doctor. I'm not right. saying that at all. But there is, uh, we actually, in Western culture, tend to place more faith in our medical personnel than we do in Jesus. That's right. And I pray for all things, imp- all things practical and impossible uh, when I pray. So, yeah. you know, we know that God is able and God does. And we just got to keep an eye out for it after we pray. Yeah. And I think that's a the huge thing there. So when you're looking for this, this uh, faith that they walk on, well, if you've seen it a million times over, well, then, yeah, no problem. Mm-hmm. If you picked up someone from an unknown tribe in, I don't know, some random country that you don't think of, that's never seen a vehicle, mm-hmm. and you walked up to your car and go, bloop, bloop, opens up, and then you press a button and you drive off, they are going to lose their minds, right? Oh, yeah. But you've seen that a million times. That's what you trust and believe in. Right. Uh, the same things that we use. At my my cell phone. My my father would have thought that's like technology from Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's better. Pretty close. That's pretty close, <laughs> right? And uh, in in fact, one of the great science fiction. I think it was Ray Bradbury. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he said the difference between science and magic. Uh, is indistingu- indistinguishable sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know, what we we consider daily things, we're connected to a global collective through the internet, through our phones, through TVs, through all these manners. And a hundred years ago, people would have thought, you're bonkers, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, clearly. Yeah, and, and it's just a matter of catching up with it. But, you know, we actually still need to rely on that 
there's things that we don't know. And it's not just always relying on the things we have capable, what our what we have in our hands. We've got to drop those things to reach up to Jesus, I think. Um, I'm going to read through the next section here. Jesus and his disciples have the Last Supper. Now, uh, just so you guys know what the Last Supper is, if you, if you aren't familiar with the Bible, uh, back in the Exodus, which is a very common story, most people are familiar with it, where the Hebrews left Jesus, or they left Egypt. I said Jesus. <laughs> that was, that in a was, way. In a yeah. way. Well, you know. So uh, the Egyptians uh, held the Jews as slaves, and they did an exodus, or they did an exit from Egypt. And the angel of death passed over them because they had painted the doors with blood. And they celebrate this every single year, even to this day. And Jesus and his disciples did this very thing. Um, So they celebrated this Passover when the angel of death passed over them. Um, When the evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. And while they were reclining at the table, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, the one, one who is eating with me. And they were sad. And one of them said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips his bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. And it would be better for him if he had not been born. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he offered it to him. And they all drank from it. And this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many, he said. I tell you the truth. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And then they sung a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is, this is interesting. What do you think? And, and, and even more so from maybe even a Catholic understanding, mm-hmm. um, and, and I hold uh, I hold my my thoughts on this, but even at that point, Judas took communion. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a strange thing. Can, you know, I don't know. I've never had an idea of what to think about this with the whole Judas betrayal thing. Um, with respect to what? Well. That he would be with him the whole time and, and either not see it or um, he would participate in all these sacraments. He would go out and he would help the people, yet this would still be the thing. And, and I see that these things still happen in the church today. Yep. Um, and, and, of course, every time we sin, in, in some respect, we betray Jesus. But... It's hard to ever place yourself in that. And, and especially even with Peter doing the same thing. He betrays Jesus three times. What is there anything else that struck you about this, this section, as you just look at it in detail? Well, I think if... <clears throat> I imagine, you know, let's say that you and I are disciples. Yeah. And we're in this room. And I don't think they really understood what was about to happen. Clearly mm-hmm. they didn't because... Otherwise, they wouldn't have scattered. And, you know, Peter said over and over again, this won't be me. I'm not going to betray you. I would never do that. And in the middle of the heat of the situation, he does. But when Jesus says, the one who dips his bread in with me. 
I would avoid that cup. Me. Yeah, I mean, what would you do, right? I'd be like, I'm not hungry today. Yeah, you, you're right. You either say, I'm not eating. But I mean, so you see this happen in front of you. Yeah. What's the What's the instinct you have? You know, I, how do you let it? I mean, if you're there and one of your brothers is going to betray the Lord, yeah. What did they do? What did they just do? Nothing? Did they sit there and say? No? I, I, I mean, yeah. I can't imagine what they would have been going through their minds at that time. Yeah, and yet then they just let him walk out. There's the surely not I, and right. But you know, when I look at this, one of the things um, I consider is like. I have to turn the mirror on myself at that moment. Mm-hmm. Is he talking about me? Right. What level would it take? What duress would I have to be under? Is it even possible? You know, you know everybody wears the cross. Mm-hmm. You know, even Madonna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I know you're shaking your head. Yeah. Little, yeah. little Wheezy wears a cross, right? Little right. Wayne yeah. wears a cross. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and I get it. Maybe, maybe they have some sort of faith. But you know the. That's actually saying, I choose death. Mm-hmm. I choose death. And um, it, it's to say that I would, you know, as God sacrificed his son, I would sacrifice myself if I had to. There's something about that, that, that symbolism right there. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, I would rather choose death than deny Jesus. But I just watched this movie um, called Silence. Have you, have you seen it yet? I don't think so. Oh, it is a hard movie to watch, but it is well worth it. It's about uh, two Portuguese priests that go over to find a missing priest in Japan. And um, Christians are tortured, betrayed, and killed on a regular basis there uh, because there is a Japanese Inquisition. This is a thing that happened, for, for honest. And it comes to the point where you got to look at what would it take for you to say, I renounce Jesus. And definitely, if you haven't uh, haven't heard of it, go out to the movie store and find it. Go on iTunes and download it. Whatever you got to do, um, but it's it's well worth it. When you start looking at what would it take, because I think for for each of us there might be that thing, and and how would that affect you? Um, speaking of the denial, um, could you read verses twenty seven through thirty one? Yeah, if I can just add something yeah. to the conversation quick. So, um, depending upon the version of the Bible you have this story is a little bit different. So one of the things that I have struggled with, um, and and, I mean, yourself, I've got, my best friend is an evangelist. I mean, Russ uh, Connor used to fly all over the country. Yeah. And people would bring him in to preach revivals. And he's in the Pentecostal denomination. So I, at this stage of my life, I look at, you know, in other words, there's a good way to describe it is there's a lot of ways to get to Chicago. You can fly in a plane, you can take a train, you can drive a car on the highway, yeah. the freeway, all that sort of stuff. In other words, <clears throat> whether you're Pentecostal or Catholic or yeah. it doesn't to me it doesn't make much difference. But there are differences amongst how we do things. So uh-huh. in the Catholic version of the Bible, the Last Supper, Jesus commands people to do this in memory of me. Yep. It's not a suggestion. It's yeah. not, hey, if you feel like it, he commands it. Right. Now, there are some churches that every time they have church, there's communion. And then there's other churches that go, well, we don't want to do it every time because we don't want people to take it for granted. And I see both sides of that right. conversation. But 
that's one of the very few things that Jesus gives a command and we go, nah, nah, I'm not going to do that. I've always wrestled with that. Like I don't, we, you know, I've been to churches that don't do it very frequently um, and it does seem more important when you do that. But on the same token, I don't understand, there's that disconnect for me. And different, like this, I have the New Living Translation. That's not how it's written. It doesn't say, do this. Well, in in Greek, it does say, take it. Okay. It's not a, uh, if you feel like it, if you get around to this, if you got things going on. I but are they suggesting that every time you gather, you should do it? Or are they saying? You know, there's there's different thoughts on that. Um, the seminary I went to is a Presbyterian seminary. And typically with Presbyterians, they will do it three times a year, um, sometimes more. But that's kind of an average is my understanding. And, you know, there may be other ones that have exceptions to that. Mm-hmm. Methodists tend to do it first Sunday of the month. Uh, I tend to do it whenever I feel like this is the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. we do it in 16 different ways till Sunday. We have literally sand- sat around a U-shaped table, looked at each other, read scripture, and ate breakfast. And, uh, yeah. and then you actually take the bread and the juice. Uh, we, there's- we did it one time with the campus pastor. It was the leadership team. Yeah. And he had just bought a loaf of bread, basically, you know, a, yeah. uh, and broke off pieces and gave it to us. And we did commune among men. Yeah. And I mean, I get emotional just thinking about it because it was so powerful yeah. in that small room and that just that just those guys, because you take that bread in your mouth and you realize how much your sin impacts that story. Yeah, it does. So again, I've experienced it in a lot of different ways. I'm not suggesting that one is right or wrong, but yeah. sometimes doing it differently like that. Yeah. Beautiful. And you know, I've been so overwhelmed. In fact, uh, one time this is a, my, my friends still tease me about this, but, um, we went to promise keepers. They, they took me for the first time in back in the late nineties. And I was so overwhelmed by what I experienced over the course of the weekend. I got up to the van and there's like a day old bagel and a grape snapple. And I'm like, let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, you know, there's different ways to handle it too. Right. And everybody's got a, like their own ideal, but it's actually not always what you think. That's right. In Nepal, they give you a coconut pancake that you split up and, and seriously an orange Fanta. Well, it's better than day old goat's milk or whatever they, well, you know, I've, I've, <laughs> as you may know, <laughs> you know, uh, one, th- I learned not to ask for tea in my milk all the time. <laughs> I, I literally saw someone take my cup of tea out under a goat and, oh. <laughs> and milk it right. Game over. <laughs> Game over. <laughs> I'll just take my tea black. Thank you. <laughs> a little bit of sugar, please. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's it's different on, on how it's done in many different places. But there is a weightiness to it. And there's, you know, just like some people will rattle off the Lord's Prayer without thinking about yeah, <laughs> forgive me as I forgive other people. Right. I don't want to be forgiven like I forgive other people. I want God to forgive me better than that. Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, could you read uh, verses 27 through 31? Sure. Um, On the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be shat- scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. 
No, Peter declares emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. Yeah, a lot of times we forget that and the others vowed the same. <laughs> That's true, because yeah. we don't we put all the emphasis on him. Oh yeah, we point we point out Peter because he's he's the you know, I got compared to Peter once by a youth pastor. Uh, how so? yeah, how so? <laughs> I said, Well well, I knew the guy didn't necessarily like me at all whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, okay, that shines some light on the story. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I was like, oh. He's like, yeah, you have a big mouth and a tiny brain. I don't like... But he said it with love. Oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> no, he did not. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you what, God will use my big mouth and he will use my tiny brain to the best of their abilities and I'll take it at that. <laughs> I think you're doing okay. Most days, most days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Now let's see if my mouth gets ahead of me. <laughs> but everybody's in the same moment, yet the only one that sticks there is John through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it's strange how we brag and we boast, and I will do this, I will do that, until we're not paying attention or until there's danger or there's, like, what's at stake now. Right. And, and we see how this plays out immediately following. Um, starting on verse 32 uh, is where Jesus is in the garden. Um, well, they. This is quite funny. I, there's one of my favorite lines of scripture. It's absolutely hilarious. Now, this book is written by a man called John Mark. Now, John Mark was Peter's disciple because each of the disciples had disciples. And if you're learning from someone, guess what? You're a disciple, and you should be teaching someone. Side note. Uh, but I will bring the laughing moment in because John Mark writes himself into the story. A lot of times, we only think we see the three. And anytime we see the the picture of Jesus praying in Gethsemane, there's always three little shadowy figures in the background. Peter, James, Never and John. Never noticed that. Oh, look it up. Next time you see the picture, it's it's an artistic standard. Huh. It's a Western artistic standard. They're always there. Maybe in minute detail, maybe in shadow, but they're there. Um, well, they, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. It's hard for me to think of that. Yeah. It it really is. And going a little further, he fell into the ground and prayed uh, that if possible in that hour, the cup might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I want but you, what you will. That Abba thing is very important. That's actually, uh, it says father, but it's really an endearing term like daddy, please. And, and he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon. He didn't even call him Peter at this point. Simon. (laughs) He, you know, when someone uses your proper name, Ooh, you're in trouble. Yeah. I get Benjamin Michael. I'm like, yeah. He did that from my nine year old from time to time. (laughs) You know, they, they do this. My kids do it, too, just for fun, especially when my mom's around. Exactly. But he gives them a Simon. <laughs> and he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you just stay awake for an hour? Come on. Pray and watch so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. And he came back. And again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And they did not know what to say to him. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> Right? And then returning a third time, he said, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. 
Rise and let's go. Here comes my betrayer. This is, is a thing that's very hard to, to grasp in some ways. But if he knew it was going to happen, that he would be killed and then resurrected, he already said as much. Mm-hmm. Do you understand where the agony is, Dan? Is it the physical agony? Agony? I well, I would tend to believe yes, but it's also the realization of taking all of our sins onto himself in that moment. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's easy to say yeah. Anybody that's seen, you know, the crucifixion, like the Passion of the Christ. Oh yeah. I mean, you watch that watch. and you just go, oh my gosh. Um, but on that same token, it's so much more than that. I think it's hard for us to comprehend. Yeah, I, th- I think it's not something that's really taught enough, but God can't stand the sight of sin. Right. He can't be in the presence of it. He's so holy. Yeah. So here's what, what people fail to understand. It's the consequence of that sin. Right. And I don't think it's physical death that really caused the issue. It's the spiritual separation. And that's actually what sin is and what death is. Death is separation. And when you, when, if I were to sin against you, if I were to just, you know, reach across and tackle you, right? Yeah. You probably wouldn't want to spend time with me anymore. I'm guessing not. No. no. When you go to pick up your kids from school, you'd be looking out the corner of your eyes as he come. <laughs> right? <laughs> this guy can't be trusted. Again. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know, the, oh. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just that same thing that we're looking at. But the separation is something that was experienced by us. We were separated from God. When we ate the fruit, separated from each other when we shared, mm-hmm. and separated from the world was the curse. Um, that there would be pain and, and child rearing and raising them up and, and thorns and thistles and all that we do, whether it's money management or church or whatever we're doing, it's going to hurt us to some extent. And Jesus never had to experience that. The Trinity has always lived in unity with each other and still remains to do the same. But there was only three days throughout history that they were separated. And recently there's a a man that I I just love and uh, he was, he was mentally handicapped and he passed away at almost 70 years old. And in that 70 years, he'd never been separated from his mom for more than a day. And throughout his uh, last couple months, he had been separated several times for a week or two at a shot for cancer treatments. And I started to understand the agony Christ went through when he under, when I saw the relationship of the son being separated from the mother in that way. Yeah. That, that you would spend so much time and then, granted, he got to come back eventually, but for that short period, it was difficult to watch. Uh, Could you read verses 43 through 51? Yeah. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You, excuse me, you will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Then others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. 
Jesus asked them, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day. But these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me, that all of the disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man following behind was clothed only in a linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. That would be John Mark. (laughs) (laughs) I told you it was funny. It is. It is. Yeah. So it's, it's an unnamed man. Right. Yeah, that's true. They'd never but, actually say who it is. But the only person who would know that would be either one of the three that was already there or the man writing it. Writing it. Yeah. I never connected the dots, but that yeah. makes exact sense. Yeah, most historians and most theologians believe that's to be John Mark. So it's <laughs> not just the three guys in the story as you remember, um, but it's actually a slight more than that. Uh, they may have had additional people with them, trusted people that would be close by. Yeah. So... It, it's a, it's a slightly different version of what we think in our head, but when we start looking a little deeper than the surface, right. oh, we start to see it, don't we? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, you know, I listen to a lot of pastors, podcasts, and things like that, and one of my favorite is Andy Stanley mm-hmm. because Andy has a gift to describe a story in the Bible yeah. in such a way. I mean, it may be a story I've heard because I've been in church my whole life. It may be a story I've heard a hundred times, but he'll tell it in such a way that I think I'm hearing it for the first time. I think mm-hmm. you have that ability as well. Um, you know, it, it's, yeah, I mean, I never, I could read that a hundred times and never even think to go, who was the guy? Yeah, and, and it's just a matter of we slow down, we look at the details, yeah. and, we, and, and that's where one of the, the most important pieces comes from it. Not everybody knows what a pastor goes through to actually provide a sermon, but... It, a good sermon probably takes 10 to 12 hours to put together. Yep. A garbage one, maybe an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And thrown, I forgot to do it. I'm doing it off the cuff. Yeah. I've, I've dropped a few bombs in my days. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as it stands, this is, this is one of those things when we slow down far enough, we'll get to see all the details. Mm-hmm. But just like when you're driving past something at 50 miles an hour, you'll see it. You just won't see it. <laughs> oh, and I, yeah, I'm prone to be that guy for sure. Yeah, so we we get uh, to this point where we understand most people know the story that Jesus was arrested. I like the whole cutting off the ear thing. Uh, I, I heard a sermon from T.D. Jakes on his podcast once. He says nobody wants to hire Jesus. See, this is just like the the whole previous pastor thing. Exactly. You know, like Jesus cussing people out in the board meeting, cutting people's ear off, and they don't agree with him. <laughs> and how much do you want to pay this guy? Should he be full time? No, put him in the youth ministry. What? Why are you putting him in the youth ministry? <laughs> Haven't you? I mean, so you read that, and, and so he cuts off the ear. Yeah. And doesn't Jesus heals him? Right. Yeah. Now, if you saw that, wouldn't you go, "Whoa, hold on, what?" You, I mean, and, and but they don't. They continue on, and they continue to arrest him. You know, I think, how would you see that and not go, "Wait a minute!" Unless you were afraid of the consequences that you would face if you said, "No, no, we can't arrest this guy." But how do they do that? You know, I, I'll tell you some funny stuff because in in judo class, I've seen someone's ear ripped. <laughs> And they glue it back on. They literally put super glue on it. It's gross, right? <laughs> a little but, bit, yeah. But I'm thinking they didn't have super glue back then, right? Yeah. But when that happened, everybody stopped. Mm-hmm. And it's not like it was completely ripped from his head. It was just torn badly. Right. Everyone goes, oh, wow. And then everybody comes around it. 
Now, that wasn't the reaction here. But if I like, if you kind of put the picture together in your mind, if that happened to you, what would happen? And if you watch that movie you were talking about, The Passion of the Christ, the guy just sits there and holds his ear. And he just looks like, what's going on? And everybody else trails off. But that guy. Right. That guy stays. And I think there's there's something to that because did that happen? I don't know. But I'd, I'd like to believe it does. In the effort of time, we want to get moving on here. Um, in verse 55, I'll read uh, 55 through 64 real quick. They took Jesus to the high priest, the chief of priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law. They came together. And Peter followed him at a distance right to the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat at the guards and warmed, warmed himself by the fire. And the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were there for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they may not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. And some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. And we heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple in three days and will build another, not made by man. Yet even their testimony didn't agree. And when the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony you are giving uh, that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, Jesus said. Which, I'm just going to take a second there. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when Moses met the fiery bush? Mm -hmm. And he spoke to God through a burning bush. What did he say? I am. I am that I am. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his clothes, which is a sign of anger and, and honestly, insanity. (laughs) And do we need any more witnesses, they asked. You have heard blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. And some began to spit at him and blindfolded him, struck them with their fists and said, prophesy, preach, tell us what's going to happen. And the guards took and beat him. What kind of, uh, what kind of gathers you there? What? I, you know, every time I read through this, I like my gut just feels sick uh-huh. because I mean, I would feel that way <clears throat> in general. I mean, if we saw somebody just outside this little room here yeah. and something was happening, somebody was getting attacked for no reason at all. I mean, your human empathy kicks in. Go, yeah. That's just not right. But this is the Lord and, you know, it, it's... To a certain extent, we, we are, you know, for those of us that have kids, um, it is excruciating if one of your kids comes to you and says they were made fun of or somebody was mean to them or mm-hmm. whatever the case is because you feel, to a certain extent, helpless. Yeah. And that's how it feels when you read this is to go, my God, how did this... I know it had to happen, Yeah. but why? I mean, it, you struggle with that yeah. in terms of... You just, I don't know. They separated him from his authority, from his position, from his, uh, seemingly from his power. We know that didn't happen. But, you know, there's all all this stuff that happens to him and all those things that they thought for so long and stewed in their souls finally comes out. The venom is there. Yeah. That's a crazy bit right there. Yeah. Here's here's one thing. Uh, What did they post on the sign above his head on the crucifix? Uh, Jesus, the Nazarene, King of the Jews. 
that was the charge brought against him. Right. If you had stolen something or you had rioted against the king, mm-hmm. that would be the charge. Right. And that king of the Jews was the charge. Mm-hmm. It's, it's blasphemy to say that he was actually the child, the progeny of God. Right. Now, he calls himself the son of man, which is kind of a, it's an ancient term for like the best that heaven has to offer. This is your example. Be like this. Right. Which that's what Jesus calls himself. Be like me. Right. 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 Be holy because I am holy. <laughs> it's, yeah. It goes back and back and back. But he is literally the son of God himself. Now, the son of God meant a different thing. It was an emperor's title. They thought, hey, this is the best heaven or earth can show heaven. Right. It's kind of a backwards thing when you think about Literally, it, right? Yeah. Um, but they beat him and they said, you aren't worthy to stand here. You aren't worthy to stand here and not feel pain. You should die. Mm-hmm. Because that was such a serious charge. Could you read verses um, 66 through 72? Yeah. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came and noticed, or came by and noticed Peter, warming himself by the fire. She looked at him closely and said, You were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the, into the entryway. Just then a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, This man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, You must be one of them because you're a Galilean. Peter swore, A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. Wow. That is is really powerful because he understood right away. Mm -hmm. And you know, it, it... Maybe he betrayed Jesus there as well. Absolutely. It's more than one who betrayed him. One betrayed him into the hands of death, and one denied him completely. And that in itself is a betrayal. Wouldn't you feel betrayed if, if uh, you walked into a large crowd and you saw your wife and you said, Hey, honey, and she said, I don't, Who are you? Oh, absolutely. Terribly betrayed. Yeah. And, and here... Jesus tells him, this is going to happen, but I love you anyways. Take my body and eat. This is my blood. Yet drink. Mm -hmm. And there is still grace beyond understanding. There is love beyond understanding. Right. And forgiveness that you can't comprehend. They can only be explained by always, no matter what, and even if, and leave that space blank. It's like an... Jesus wrote an empty check. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he wrote a blank check. That is an amazing thing. And I think there's so much to, to look at in there. We know, obviously, in the Gospel of John, he has that, that moment. Peter, do you love me? And he restores him because he, he betrayed him three times and he restores him by asking him three times, yeah. do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Yeah. Peter, do you really love me? Yeah. Then feed my sheep. Okay, seriously, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, are you going to feed him already? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Come on. I told you. Give him the program. (laughs) But it's interesting because I don't know until you just said that. I don't know that I connected those that they were in threes. Oh, yeah. Until you just said that. Yeah, three is a number of uh, perfection. Biblically, you know, when you start looking at it, there's, there's 
Now, don't go all Bible code on me, okay? But there are some numbers that are significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven is is a, a number of holiness. Three is a, a number of perfection. Uh, three strands bound together. We're talking the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. The list goes on and on, right? right. Uh, you've got Moses, uh, Miriam, and uh, I'm blanking now on his brother's name. <laughs> Aaron. Aaron, yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Um, Peter, James, and John, right? Mm-hmm. You've got 12 as a number of, um, of uh, completion. So the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples, those things are connected. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many things that numbers-wise, they, right. they lock together in that way. So that's that's kind of a beautiful thing. I know you're short on time, Dan. So I'm going to ask you just a couple of questions. Normally we do this on another podcast called The Other Way. We do another 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. But I'm going to ask you because I know you serve. I'm okay, by the way. Okay. I, I know you serve in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, how long you got? Another five minutes? No, I'm 15, 20 minutes. I'm good. Okay. We'll, we'll jump to the other podcast in just a moment then. Okay. Could you do me a favor? Sure. And just... Pray a prayer of reflection over this, um, something to keep us mindful over this throughout the day, and and a prayer for all the people that will end up listening to this, whether it's five people or 5,000. Sure, absolutely. Lord, I just want to come to you today. Um, I just want to thank you, uh, the sacrifice that you made for us, um, which you didn't have to do. Um, pray that for all of us, I pray for our leaders, guys like Ben, uh, who are out there trying to shepherd a flock. Um, pray for the pastors at my church. I pray for those of us, uh, especially men that are trying to be good leaders in our families, to always be mindful to keep our focus on you. We will screw up. It is our nature, just as we saw today in this story. The people that were with Christ, even those guys, messed up, but they were redeemed because of Christ's love. So I pray for everybody listening to this today to hold on to that eternal hope of the love of Christ in that it will bring us ultimately into relationship with him and a growing relationship with Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, everybody. That makes means make peace with God so you can be his grace in this world. Have a great week and make sure to stop and read the scripture for yourself. If you don't have a church, find one. They're all over. And if you don't find the right one right away, keep looking. Uh, There's some that are charismatic and uh, it's like a party going on. There's some (laughs) that it's quiet. And if you're a quiet person, I understand. Don't come to my church. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. You can come to my church. We'll have some quiet times, some days, like every 12th Sunday. But but, uh, there's a variety of churches in a variety of ways. But make sure you go ahead and be part of one. If Christ died for the church, it might be important. Hello. So please go out there, find a community, read your Bible, pray daily. Grace and peace. Have a great week.